Field Notes brand, USA-made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrands.com or 400 North May in Chicago. It is the Industry Interactive Podcast, featuring industry-centric interviews, discussions, and more with the premier minds in the creative arts and industries. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast at dynastypodcast.com. This week, a Dynasty Podcast Q&A at the Jeff McCluskey & Associates offices in Chicago as part of their Young Entrepreneurship Guest Speaker Sessions. Here's how that sounds. I'm a black here at JMA, Jeff McCluskey & Associates in Chicago, and I'm here for, what do you guys call this? Is there like an official name for this? Uh, yeah, this, this particular session. Is it like an intern? All right, Young Entrepreneurship Guest Speaker Session. Okay, so I will try to speak to that. Uh, you guys were gracious enough to invite me in here to speak to this class of interns for summer 2014, man, and I really appreciate it. So I will kind of give you guys a little bit of background about myself, what I do, how I got started, and then we can open it up to some questions. I'm really interested to hear any questions or comments you guys have, and I'll try to keep it brief on my end so that I don't you know, bore anybody and just talk for 90 minutes. So my name is Haima Black. I'm here with Dynasty Podcasts. That's what we're recording this for. Uh, Dynasty Podcasts was launched 10 years ago, well, nine years ago, 2005, as the first ever music podcast in Chicago. So we were the first music podcast here. We beat all the radio stations. None of the radio stations were interested in podcasting. Like, we were the only music podcast here. Now that's not the case. Now, like, radio stations have podcasts. There's a lot of other music podcasts. It's cool. But when we started doing this, there was no one doing this. So we've been doing this now for, yeah, like nine years. Before I was podcasting, I kind of got my start in the music business. In 1998, I was 15 years old. And I got an internship at a college radio station um, at the very end of my freshman year of high school. So 1998, like spring 98, I got an internship at Loyola College Radio. And then by the summer... I was able to get an internship at a at the preeminent rock station at the time. Excuse me, which was called Rock 1035. They were they went off the air 6 months after I got there. It's not my fault, I don't believe that they went off the air, but they went off the air 6 months after I got there and the DJ I was working with as an intern went over to Q101 Radio. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Q101 Radio. How many of you guys remember Q101 in here? Anyone? Sometimes when I talk to people, I mean, they've been off the air like three years, and in this media landscape, that's a long, long time. Three years is like 30 years. So there's a lot of people I talk to now who have never heard of Q101, which is kind of crazy to me, but, you know, that's kind of how things work now. It's just things cycle through very quickly. So I started at Q101 in 1998 in the summer, or the fall. Like, I was at the Rock 1035 station really briefly, but... For all intents and purposes, my story really starts at Q101 after a couple of, like, early starts elsewhere. So I was interning at Q101 Radio with a DJ named Chris Payne. Chris was a radio veteran. Uh, he's not a radio DJ anymore, but Chris was a veteran DJ for maybe 10 or 15 years when I met him. Um, he got his start when he was really young as well, like 14 years old. So that was kind of why he took me under his wing as his intern. So I was working with Chris at Rock 1035, then Q101, helping him with show prep, helping him produce his show, book guests, um, you know, if, if he had to talk, you know, out of a song coming up and he was going to talk about, like, corn or something, 
it was my job to go research, you know, on the very young internet then, or like look up in like Rolling Stone or something like, oh, Corn just said they have a new record this fall. And then you'd get on the air and, you know, be able to use that piece of information. So my job was to kind of like find content for his program once a week when I worked with him. The rest of the week he was on by himself. He didn't really need me that badly. But, you know, things kind of changed in 2001 at the radio station because Chris, uh, you know, the DJ I was working with, took over the local music show. And that was when we really kind of, we had, we had already been working together for like three years, but then it kind of like moved to a different level because now it's different because of the internet. But back then, hosting like a local music show in Chicago before the age of like Spotify and SoundCloud and YouTube, that was like how a lot of local music got broken. So back then it was a really kind of like high profile kind of gig. So being his producer with him as the host on the local music show, that was really cool. And I did that from 2001 to 2011 when the radio station went off. So Chris and I worked together for 13 years and we did the local show together at Q101 for 10 years. During our time there, the way that it worked was I would work with him on Sunday nights for the show. It was on from 9 until 10 on Sunday nights on Q101. And we would book two or three guests for the program. And we would typically book the guests in advance of events they had coming up. So if like Local H, Alkaline Trio, and like Disturbed had shows that week, we might try to get all three of them in the studio or on the phone to talk about what they were doing. So my job was to book all those guests. Chris also did some of the booking, but my job was to kind of like, you know, look ahead and say like, you know, if it's June right now, oh man, Alkaline Trio just announced Four Nights at Metro in like September. Why don't we start working on it now to try to get them in before those shows happen, you know? So I really did this like 10 years of booking guests with um, Chris Payne at Q101. And that was where I really learned so, so much of what I use nowadays as an entrepreneur and as a business owner with Dynasty Podcasts. Because this is not just like a podcast. It's like a business that we run pretty full time, uh, myself and my producer, Layla. So working at Q101 is a great experience, you know, being able to learn how to book guests, being able to learn how to be professional, being able to learn how to, you know, have conversations with promoters and publicists and managers and artists and be able to approach them in a way where, you know, we could build relationships. And, you know, I'm sure that it sounds cliche. I'm sure everybody's told you this, but all of this kind of work, everything you see on the walls here, you know, anything you go out and do in the music business, it's built on relationships. It's built on relationships. It's built on being able to approach people and not say, hey, please do this thing for me, but say, hey, I would love to do something with you. Here's the value in it for you. Please let me know what we can do to make it happen. So I did that uh, until 2011 when the radio station went off. And then in 2005, while I was at the radio station, I started doing podcasting. And it was brand new back then. No one really knew what it was. We didn't really know what we were doing or what we were building with it. It was just something I kind of started for fun because I was like, dude, you can totally like go do your own radio show. You know, being a producer, I loved doing that work, but I wasn't on the air. I wasn't um, on the front lines with it. I was kind of behind the scenes. So with podcasting, you could build whatever kind of radio show you want. You could make it half an hour. You could make it an hour. You could make it 74 hours if you were a total psychopath. You know, you could say whatever you want. There were no restrictions. It was really cool. So we started doing podcasting, you know, myself and a group of like young you know, people just like you, like young creative college kids back when I was that age, 
we all started building this podcast and started doing events around the city and booking DJs and booking bands. And again, none of this now sounds very like noteworthy because lots of people build content online and book events. But back then it was all kind of done by and large by, you know, big companies in the city that had a lot of money or established talent bookers. There weren't a lot of like college kids just trying to book a room at like Beat Kitchen or Shoe Buzz or something and book some bands and be independent and build a podcast around it. So, you know, taking a lot of what I learned at Q101 and some journalism work, we started doing Dynasty podcasts back in 2005. Um, you know, we built a lot of relationships independent on that podcast and then brought a lot of relationships over from the radio station. Uh, you know, we just happened to be in the right place at the right time with like Flostradamus, for example. We gave Floss like one of their first ever interviews back before anyone would have any idea that they were going to become, you know, like the Hoodie Boys and all that kind of stuff. Like, they were just these two dudes who, you know, I was seeing DJing around the city and I knew they were working hard. On Q101, we, we were really fortunate to be there on the ground floor for like Fall Out Boy, Rise Against. Uh, we got to do some work with the Pumpkins a couple times. You know, every once in a while we got Alkaline Trio, you know, and it was all really cool getting to like, you know, work with all these artists that either were rock stars or were maybe going to go on their way to become rock stars. But again, whether I was doing the podcast or whether I was doing Q101 or even some of the journalism work or promotions, anything I did, it was all about relationships. It was all about treating people well. And it was all about, you know, finding a way to connect with these artists in a way that would matter to them and bring something to the table that was going to have value to them, not just being like, do this thing for me because I want you to, you know, because that doesn't ever get you anywhere. <laughs> so I've been, yeah, so I've been doing the podcast now nine years. Um, next year will be a 10 year, obviously. Now it's a full-time job for myself, but for many, many, many years, it was not, it was just something I was doing and I just kept doing it because I don't know if I was stubborn or stupid or what, but, you know, and, and over the years, what happened was as I took it more seriously and I worked really hard at it, then what happens is if you keep producing content and you keep working at things and you're, you're taking it seriously and you're bringing in interesting people and creating interesting content, people notice that. My name's Grace, and I was just wondering how how you go about choosing who you want to interview. Yeah, so that is a really good question. Um, one of the things I learned from Q101 and from doing journalism work is that the most interesting, you know, the, the best time to be able to set something up with someone you want to talk to is when they have something going on in their end that they want to promote. So if I want to book, let's say, like, Rise Against, my best bet for getting Rise Against on a podcast or something like that if that's something I can make happen, is waiting till they have a new album. If I wait and reach out to them when like their last album came out two years ago and there's nothing to really promote, it's probably not going to happen. And that's not specific to Rise Against, just anybody. But if you reach out to like a promoter that has a big show coming up or a band that has a new album coming up or a DJ that's like about to go play Ultra or maybe they just came back from Ultra and you're like centering the conversation around like, oh man, you've got this thing about to happen or oh man, you just came back from South by Southwest. How was that? That's a lot of what we do. And then that way there's something that anchors it. There's something to promote or back sell. And then you kind of build the conversation out from there. I'm Casey. Um, so do you guys, first of all, do you guys mostly do podcasts in the Chicago area or all over the place? Yeah, that's a good question. So primarily we're based in Chicago. A lot of our content is Chicago centric, but you know, we've been around so long now that we've kind of had, so many people in Chicago on the podcast over the years. Um, so we're not looking to leave Chicago. We're not looking to stop doing that, but we are looking to see what else we can do 
beyond Chicago while not leaving here. So like I'm looking at places like Vegas or New York or San Francisco or LA, like places where there's so much great culture and industry and art and music and all this stuff happening. So I'm hoping that we can like set some things up there. We go to South by every year, South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. We always do a lot of coverage down there. We cover the Chicago talent that goes down there. So we're probably gonna keep building stuff out like that, but I don't see us ever like not being based in Chicago. And then also, uh, what local Chicago acts would you say to look out for? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a, this isn't a secret. Like, obviously, the big one right now is Chance. Like, everybody knows about Chance. That's as obvious as saying, like, Kanye West. Chance is doing huge stuff, though. Um, there's this soul duo called Milo and o, or I guess they were called Milo and Otis. Now they're called M&O, because the DJ group Milo and Otis is also using that name. So they're called M&O now, and they are really good. They put out this record that I kind of thought people were going to jump all over it. I thought blogs were going to jump all over it. I haven't seen quite as much recognition for it, but it's really good. Uh, I'm a big fan of what Mike Golden is doing. Um, that Orwell's record is great. I'm really interested to hear the new Twin Peaks record. Um, I mean, there's so much. There's so, so much going on. There's an artist, uh, you know, Layla, my producer, works there. She is a cellist as well as producing this podcast. Um, there's an artist Layla performs with named Zoe Wise, and Zoe Wise is doing some really, really great work as well. So, I mean, there's there's so much great talent. I mean, we just had the Lawrence Arms on the podcast. We're not by any means like a new band, but they continue to write great music. So there's a lot to look out for. But that's the thing is like in Chicago, what I've found is that you can be as plugged in as you want. You can have a blog or a podcast or be a talent buyer or whatever, and you could still totally not know about some awesome thing happening because this city just never stops producing great music. So, um, I have a question. I'm Jacob. Uh, my college radio station is kind of struggling uh, with finding the balance between live content and digital content. Uh, how do you think traditional radio stations uh, should best respond to more and more content moving online, if that makes any sense? Well, I mean, first I should preface, I haven't worked at a radio station in like three years. So, you know, I've been doing the podcast, and also I, I teach at Columbia College now. So, that being said, I mean, to me, radio radio should be living in your phone, you know? And I'm not singling out any specific station or genre. It's just, like, that's how I listen to music now, is on my phone. And if a radio station is on, like, radio.com or iHeartRadio or has an app, things like that, that's beneficial. That can help people plug in, because in the car... Like, I get frustrated when I don't have my phone plugged in because I'll flip through, like, the four stations I still listen to on the radio, and sometimes all four of them will be on commercials, and I just want to crash my car. It's just the worst thing I've ever heard. Radio commercials are the worst thing I've ever heard. So I'm always trying to listen to my phone, like Spotify or, like, you know, I have an app that, um, I think it's called, like, Radios or something. It's very nonspecific, but it organizes all of the feeds for like uk stations so like all the bbc stations stuff like that or podcast apps so i'm always listening to my phone and i think if if radio stations can be you know can live in apps can have youtube content can be on facebook all the time and twitter you know some would argue that that's counterintuitive because that's not radio but to me now media is just media you know it's not just like radio and tv it's like you have to be everywhere especially online and mobile Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, my name's Ashley. Um, I was just wondering how, over the course of a year, um, you've been able to build up your followership 
or following base to the level that it's at now. And I guess a follow-up question to that is, do you recruit outside networks to help you, and which ones specifically? What do you mean, like, outside networks? Like, other music industry people in the Chicago area, like, are you affiliated with anyone else, or do you bring anyone else in from outside to help you? Um, so, okay, so I'll move through those kind of bit by bit. Okay. Um, building, I'm just seeing the Lindsay Lohan poster up there. That is so awesome for her album. So, building up my followership, that has happened over a long period of time. Um, I just turned 30 like a year ago. I'm gonna be th So, like a year, year and a half. I'm going to be 32 this year. And when I turned 30, I was like, oh, cool. I'm really glad I spent my entire 20s promoting on social networks. Like, no one told me that was going to happen. So pretty much once like MySpace happened, that was around the time that I started really figuring out that I wanted to not only work for a great company like Q101 and work on a great show like Local 101, but I knew I wanted to start building up my own kind of thing. And so I started promoting and bringing content to like MySpace. And back then, people were not talking about social media the way that they do now. They weren't talking about SEO, you know, search engine optimization. They weren't talking about analytics. They weren't talking about data. I mean, p adults treated MySpace like a joke. The industry treated MySpace like a joke. Like, you know, every once in a while, some of the savvy industry would find artists on MySpace, but by and large, it, it's not like now where, like, toilet paper companies are on Twitter trying to be hip. Like, MySpace was just, like, pure, you know, like, real... It, it, it smelled like Teen Spirit, you know what I mean? Like, it was real kind of interaction between kind of scene kids and stuff like that. So I started promoting on MySpace and, and building up the content on MySpace and sharing it on MySpace. And then once Facebook came along, I started moving it to Facebook. And then once Twitter came along, and then once Instagram. And, you know, I had a bit of an advantage being that I worked at Q101, but not that much of one because I wasn't getting promoted on the air at Q101. People weren't hearing me at Q101. So it's not like I had billboards with my name on it or anything like that, you know. So a lot of what I was doing was just like every day trying to build stuff online, whether it's MySpace or Facebook. You know, I was doing blogging for a little bit, and then everybody was doing blogging. So I was like, I don't need to do this. I'll just do the podcast. But, you know, every day on Facebook now I try to share content, whether it's my own or if it's from like a site like Fast Company or Wired or something really cool about like Spotify or streaming stuff or whatever. So for me, a lot of it was really just like, creating content, sharing content, and being informed and interacting with people online, just like everybody does now, which is not unique anymore, but I just kind of got a head start with like MySpace and all these things when they were a little bit younger, and then having content of my own to share pretty regularly and having events and things like that, that also helps. I mean, honestly, if you go online, like if you're determined to like have a YouTube program or have a Tumblr that, you know, is going to promote your work or have a Vimeo channel or, or whatever it is you're trying to do, if you're sharing that stuff every day, and not in a way where you're just like, look at my stuff, don't talk to me, just read this or listen to this, but like if you're having interactions with people and when you're not promoting your own stuff, you're sharing other things from other people that are really interesting, all those things, they take a lot of time and it's a lot of work to find the right balance, but you know, that helps build an authentic kind of interaction and build like some level of awareness and audience and things like that. And the other thing is just finding out what kind of platform you're gonna work best on. Like for us, it's SoundCloud. You know, we do really well on SoundCloud. We're an audio podcast. That's a great fit for us. We have maybe like 150, 200 Tumblr followers, which if I was speaking to a high school, they would laugh me out of there. 
you know, that's not a lot of Tumblr followers. There's, you know, kids who are like 17 who have like 50,000 Tumblr followers or like 2 million Tumblr followers or kids who are Instagram famous. So a lot of it's just knowing where you're going to do best. Like if you want to do video work, YouTube and Vimeo, that's where you want to build your audience and everything else around that. Even if you only have like 400 Twitter followers, you've got the like 100,000 followers on YouTube and that's where it counts. Um, and then in terms of partnering with anybody, like we'll do collaborations, but we're not part of like any other like media network. We're not owned by like, like some of the blogs like work with like complex or like things like that. We don't have any of that. So it's all just pretty DIY. But again, we, we do collaborate with people. So it's not like we're living in a, in a vacuum, but yeah, we don't have any kind of like TV or radio station, you know, sending us lights or anything like that. If that's what you're asking. My name is Dan. One thing I was thinking about with your value proposition is just sort of with your fan base, what does that offer? With terrestrial radio, you've got ads. That's obvious in terms mm -hmm. of what um, what you can get from from that. But as a podcast, what's it look like? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question because all of this has been trial and error. There is not. I mean, now there might be like some guide, but when I started doing podcasting, there was not a guide of like how to be the first music podcast when there won't be any more for like seven or eight years or like, you know, how to be a 15 year old radio intern when everyone else who starts off as an intern is like 19. Like so much of what I've done has been like, what's the most difficult version of this that I can build for myself and pursue. Um, so a lot of it's trial and error. So with the podcast, what a lot of our value proposition is, it's a couple things. One, there is some value in us being the first one and having like 10 years experience on the podcast having myself like 16 years experience on like other media, you know, jobs and, and outlets and things like that. Um, you know, for the podcast itself, it's just keeping track of a lot of numbers too. you know, like being able to tell people like we have 50,000 followers on SoundCloud. We have over 60,000 followers across all platforms. We've hit over a hundred thousand follow or a hundred thousand streams on SoundCloud alone. That doesn't take into account like other, you know, Bandcamp and YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, we've been heard in over 165 countries, all these kind of things. Being able to tell people these things, it might not land us like a Coca-Cola ad the way that like a radio station would get. But, you know, maybe we can partner with like, you know, one of the city of Chicago offices or, you know, get brought in someplace awesome like JMA or, you know, uh, you know, I mean, kind of one of the things to look at is I teach now at Columbia College and I have no teaching background. <laughs> And that happened because I got brought in to teach or to speak at Columbia work for it. And this, you know, another value proposition is that a lot of the people we try to approach, we try to set up engagements and promotions and collaborations with the attitude of like, let us do everything and you don't have to do anything. You know, like let us come in or let us use your name on it or whatever. We'll do all the work. We'll set it up. We'll bring our own equipment. We'll promote it. We'll format it, we'll edit it, you don't have to do anything. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes if you just come up to people with a cool idea and you just say like, hey, we'd love to do this thing with you and you don't have to do anything. That goes a long way because what people don't want to do is have to deal with a bunch of stuff and think about a lot of stuff. That's where we are now. You know, if you can come up to people and say like, this is what we want to do, this is how we would do it, this is why it'd be cool to you and you don't have to do anything whatsoever, we'll set up everything. That actually works a lot of times. What doesn't work is when you go to people and you say like, hey, we want to do this thing with you. We're going to need four people from your end. We need this much money. You need to get us this. We need you to promote it this much. And this is what you have to do. 
then people are just like, oh my God, or I could not do that ever at all. And it'd be way easier for my life. So I don't know. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Another uh, question I have that's related to that is, do you know the demographics of your listeners? So yes and no. Um, you know, a lot of what we go off of is a couple things. We go off of SoundCloud analytics, which offer some analytics. They're great. Um, but it doesn't break it down into like age or gender. As far as I know, maybe I haven't tapped into the right part of it. I don't believe that's the case. Um, on the other hand, we, you know, especially doing this this long, I have a pretty good impression of who our kind of core listenership and audience is. I think it's a lot of industry and artists in Chicago. You know, that's who we're speaking to. That's who we have on. That's who follows me on social media. That's who's aware of the podcast. I think that's a lot of who we're speaking to. So we kind of design it as like an artist and industry-friendly podcast. And then we try to produce content that like anyone could listen to. You know, you don't have to work at like Metro to enjoy an interview with like Rise Against or Chance the Rapper, you know. But if we maybe do a panel with like four talent buyers from like Metro, Shubas, Double Door, whatever, maybe that's going to be geared a little bit more towards like an audience of music industry students or professionals or whatever. So... You know, we do and we don't have that data, but again, like, you know, since this is such a small operation, since I go through all of our content and our engagements and our promotions and our, you know, mentions and interactions and stuff like that, I have a pretty good idea who's interacting with it. But I do kind of wish that there was even better, you know, analytics. I mean, data is so important. That's so cliche. I'm sure you guys have heard that, but data is so important. Jacob again. Mm -hmm. uh, part of uh, the struggle of web-based services is standing. The struggle, man. Yeah, it's it's so the, real. the struggle is real, absolutely. Uh, is standing out against uh, you know a hundred other people that are trying to do something kind of similar. How does Dynasty uh, you know get its name out there and make itself? I don't know, promote its own brand, I guess. Yeah, man, that's another really good question. So, you know. I myself, like I said, I've been, I've been doing this a long time, like 16 years or something like that. And I've tried almost everything in the music business. I've tried working, you know, some of it I did for like 13 years, some of it I did for like three weeks. I've done everything from like radio, it's like working at a record label to, you know, promoting my own shows to working at magazines. Like I've, I've really tried to cover the whole spread of the whole thing. Um, and I, this is certainly not like unique to me saying this, but so much of what's important is figuring out what you're best at and what you're unique at, you know? So like I've tried music blogging and it was fine, but you know, in a city that has like a great blog like Bakeshore Drive, you know, even though it's just hip hop and I was covering a wider range of music, you don't need too many other music blogs in Chicago because Bakeshore and Andrew do an awesome job of that. Um, you know, I tried like quote unquote DJing for a minute and you know, promoting shows. And every time I tried things, some things worked, some things didn't work, some things kind of worked where I could have kept going with it. But what I kept coming back to was like, well, there's a lot of promoters. Well, there's a ton of DJs. Well, there's enough bloggers, but there weren't any other podcasters. And so for me, what helped us stand out was figuring out what other people weren't doing, which happened to be what we were doing. And now other people are doing, and that's fine. But really, like, it was finding out what other people weren't doing. I mean, like, let's go do that. And let's go do it really well. And let's go do it all the time. And let's go connect with the awesome people doing it. Because then... We're not just another blog. We're not just another DJ. And I have tons of friends who are bloggers and DJs. I'm not putting that down whatsoever. 
But I'm saying like in a city where, you know, there's like Flostradamus, there's Cruella, there's Phenom, there's Midnight Conspiracy, I don't need to be a DJ because I'm not going to go compete against those people who are awesome at their jobs and their talents, you know? So a big thing for us was really just, yeah, figuring out like what our best value proposition is that other people can't reproduce and don't have the experience in and don't have the legacy in and all, the, all that kind of thing. And then, you know, like I said, when we kind of approach people, we're like, hey, we've been doing the podcast nine years. We've been doing music 16 years. No one else was doing this when we started. We beat everybody. That's why we're unique. So more about, you know, finding your niche instead of cutting a wide swath, I guess. I, I mean, it's kind of both. It's like just because I do the podcast doesn't mean I can't still throw a show every once in a while or, like, do some journalism work. You can. St I, I think it's really good, especially younger to try everything and figure out what you're good at and what you're not good at or what you like and what you don't like, but then also be paying attention to like, well, man, like every time I make videos, it goes really well. And you know, when I do some journalism work, it's okay, but when I put out a video, you know, and I'm directing a band's video or a rapper's video, people love that. Or like, you know what, man, people love my Instagram feed. That's what's really getting out there. So just pay attention to that. And again, like it might be trial and error before you find the thing that you're really like gonna stand out at. But the thing I can tell anyone in this room is that especially if you're paying attention to like Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Wired, you know, all these kind of outlets, everything is changing so, 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 so quickly now. And that's awesome because it means that you can't ever just be like, oh, well, everybody's already established themselves in everything there is. Nobody's doing Oculus Rift music journalism right now. No one's doing that. Like somebody could run out of this room right now, like in the middle of me talking and go own that. I mean, literally, you could go do that right now. Um, you know, you could go be like an awesome music brand on Snapchat. You could go be, you know, 3D printing music statues of your favorite artists and be selling those and go to, you know, New York and charge like $7,000 for each one because you're an artist and no one's doing that. There's so much potential. And next week there'll be totally different stuff that doesn't even exist right now. So there's so much potential to go discover a way to bring value to something new instead of going and being another blogger, going and being another DJ, you know, go find something that people haven't tapped into, work like hell at it if that's what you love doing and people are going to notice because they're going like, to be like, oh my God, they're like the only Oculus Rift music program. That's so cool. No one's doing that. No one's doing that whatsoever, anywhere at all right now. That's something you can totally own. For sure. One more question. Yeah. Uh, what is your class at Columbia like what are you teaching exactly yeah so this last year I was brought in to teach at Columbia which is really awesome I'm really appreciative of um, and that was kind of an experiment for them and I think it went really well I'm really I'm appreciative for any opportunity anyone ever gives me even doing this this long you always have to be appreciative you always have to be game to do things because if you ever think like I don't have to do that like whatever I'm a big deal like I've seen those people and they go away really quickly so like I, it's fantastic that I got brought in to speak here. I was totally excited about this. Um, at Columbia, I teach intro to management. That's what I taught this last year. And then this coming year, I'm going to be teaching two intro to management classes, entertainment marketing, and then one other class that has a longer title that I should not be forgetting, but I apologize. It's not in my head because I haven't done it yet. Uh, so my classes at Columbia, the way that I kind of structure them is we'll have a outline of kind of like what we're going to discuss one week it might be financing one week it might be budgeting one week week it might be promotions but then i'll try to take that core theme and apply it to things that are relevant now so like you know in the fall we were doing miley cyrus because that was right when miley was blowing up you know in the winter we were you know the spring like 
out of winter, we were talking about Beyonce. We were talking about Taco Bell's marketing because they had um, that breakfast waffle taco, but their marketing was on point. So I try to relate it to things that are current and happening now because I know what it's like to be a student and be reading about something that happened 80 years ago and you're bored out of your mind and some book that's written 60 years ago and I can't learn like that. I just, I just check out. But I think, you know, if we're learning about like Miley Cyrus and Kanye West and Taco Bell and, you know, underground horror movies and Beyonce and just things that are current and different and unique that are, you know, demonstrating really cool value proposition, cool budgeting techniques, cool fundraising, cool promotion. That's interesting to me. And so hopefully it's, you know, interesting to the students. But that's kind of how my uh, classes at uh, Columbia work. Yeah, our host here. I'm Tommy. Uh, uh, since you've been around Chicago for so, so long, I've been wondering how the entertainment landscape is different now than it has been when you started in the industry and where you see it going. So that's another good question, and that is something that I, I think about a lot because what's happened in Chicago, and it's not unique to Chicago, but it's worth remembering that nothing lasts forever. Like, I always say that, like, Bill Murray could beat up a dog on national TV and people would still love him because he's Bill Murray. And that's about the only person that could do that. Everybody else has to work. Um, so Chicago, I have always seen, you know, things go in cycles. At one point, this was a city that was, like, it revolved around, like, Disturbed and Chevelle and New Metal, you know? And then it moved into, like, Plain White Tees and Fall Out Boy and Rise Against and Academy Is. And, you know... We're coming off this wave of like, you know, Chief Keef was really big for a minute. Um, you know, Chance is an enormous artist who isn't really like a Chicago boy anymore. He's, he's, he's like, he's, he's this dude who belongs to the larger world now. Um, so we're coming out of like hip hop being a huge deal. You know, electronic music, EDM, whatever you want to call it, has been a big deal both in the underground and then kind of like rising up for a couple of years now. Things just come and go in waves, you know, and, and I've seen so much happen here. And the one thing that I always keep in mind is that, like, just because something is really big this year, this summer, this Lollapalooza, this South by Southwest, this North Coast, whatever it is, you know, and all the blogs is here, does not mean that in a year and a half it's still going to be big. It's very hard now to hold on to that. Um, that's why you don't see artists have as long of careers. You know, Rihanna has a really long career now, but there's a lot of money being pumped into the Rihanna machine, you know. Just as an independent artist in Chicago, it's really hard to weather that storm because people's tastes are so fickle. People like something one week and then don't like it the next week. An album can drop in the morning and then by the afternoon it's old news. It's just, I don't know, it's just crazy like how, how short the attention span is, which again is a very cliche thing to say, but it's true. Um, I look at like Local H, they're a rock band here out of Chicago as an example of how to like have a career in the music space that has longevity because they know their fan base they they're not chasing trends they just continue to put out good music they put on an album like every other year and then the singer has another project that when he's not doing local h he's doing scott lucas and the married men he's always putting something else out he does shows here he does shows you know nationwide he connects with his audience they know what kind of music you know they know what kind of relationship they have with their fans I look at Local H as like an example of how to survive, you know, because they they figure that out. Um, a lot of artists don't. A lot of artists 
fall into the trap where they get really big right away. They put out two songs. They get right up to like Fader and Complex, and they do a showcase at South by with like a trendy brand or something like that. And then they don't have like a, a second step. They don't know what the next level is going to be. They're not thinking ahead. They're just like enjoying the hype right now. And the hype does not last. The hype never, never, never lasts. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, you look at any artist that was really hyped for a minute on like the blogs and stuff. Most of them don't have like a nine year career. Most of them have like a four month kind of trajectory now. So it's really hard to do that. The other thing you can do is I look at like someone like Greg Corner. Greg Corner is another guy who's really, really, really inspiring and very, very, very smart. Um, Greg, he's known best, I think, for being the bassist for Kilhanna, which is, you know, a long running Chicago band that started in the end of the 90s. Um, and so he's always been like a scene staple. He's always been connecting with Kilhanna fans and organizing events for them in and out of Chicago. Um, he started <laughs> he started doing dark wave disco with two other really talented DJs and producers in the city a couple of years back, like mid two thousands, um, and they had a good long run. And now he is the music director of JBTV, which is the longest running music program in Chicago. So. You know, I look at Greg Corner as somebody who's always been like adapting, evolving, doing quality work, knowing the music landscape. You know, you can have a really long career in music now. Don't let tell people tell you that you can't. You just have to be smart. You have to be savvy. You have to pay attention to what's going on and you have to evolve. You can't, you know, it used to be like you could just be like the music critic for a major magazine and that was your one thing. And, you know, people of a certain age can still do that. But you guys, like being early 20s, you're going to have to evolve and you're going to have to adapt. And honestly, that's kind of cool. Honestly, like it's not a bad thing because you get to keep trying different things or doing the one thing that you love to do, but finding new ways to do it. So honestly, I think it's kind of better this way. But you can really make this last. You just have to be smart and you have to pay attention in a way that you honestly really didn't have to before. You have to know where things are going and figure out how you adapt to that or how you're going to beat that or how you're going to get there sooner or you know, go do something. Like, it's a super, super cliche, but it's true. Like, go where the puck is going. You know, don't go where the puck is. Like, if you're trying to start a rap career right now or a rap blog right now, you miss the boat. But if you're trying to do something totally different right now, like, you know, Oculus Rift, for example. I don't know if there's actually a future in you being an Oculus Rift program or something like that for music, but if you were looking into that, you're beating everyone there if that ever becomes a thing. Does that answer the question? Anybody else? All right. One more. All right. All right. Uh, what advice do you have for music industry interns that are trying to make it in this really tough industry? Yeah. Okay. So that's a good question to go out on because I think that's the thing that's most useful to everyone here. Um, so a couple things in no order. These are not top to bottom. Um, just like I was saying, be adaptive and be willing to evolve and be excited to evolve. Not just willing, like don't be begrudging, but be adaptive and excited to evolve because that's going to be what keeps you in the game. If you're good at something today, that does not mean that people are going to care that you're good at it in three years. You know, this podcast, it was just a audio podcast online interviewing artists. And then we started moving into the, into the live space. We started doing classroom workshops. We started doing panels. You know, and I'm still looking at ways that we can continue to grow it and evolve it. Because if we just were doing the same thing we are doing in 2005, literally 0.0% of people would care. Because that's 10 years ago, which might as well be 70 million years ago. 10 years ago, 
is so long ago now. Ten years ago is when dinosaurs were on the earth. Whatever you did in 2005 doesn't matter because no one cares. You know? And it's, it's true. Like, it's, it sounds really bleak and nihilistic, but the upside of that is that you can continue to, like, evolve and do different things, and I think that's exciting. So be willing to adapt and evolve. And what that really means is, like, like I said, a lot of it's just paying attention and being smart. I read Fast Company every day. I read Wired every day. I read the Wall Street Journal. I read LA Times. I read New York Times. I go on Twitter. I check Reddit. I check Instagram. You know, I, I talk to younger people who are interested in things like you guys. I don't just sit off by myself being like, well, I'm in my early 30s. I know more than everybody. Like, and I mean, the core of the podcast is talking to people. Talking to people is so important, asking them questions, and again, finding what you can bring to people who you want to work with is really important instead of just asking somebody like, do this for me, give me a job, do like, give me an internship, let me do this. Like, tell them why you'd be the perfect person for it. And a lot of what people, you know, like speaking for myself, a lot of what people want to hear is like, let me make this easier for you. Let me find a way to make this, you know, more profitable for you. Let me find a way to promote this even better for you. Let me do this. If I hear those kind of like sentences, that's great, man. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear somebody being like, not that I want like slave labor, but if you go to anybody and you say like, hey, let me make your life easier and do this that's going to help you or your product, people respond to that. You know, If you go to somebody and say like, give me a job that pays me $70,000 a year, people do not respond to that. Um, you know, it's a little bit pricey, but if you can go to like South by Southwest or like conferences like San Francisco Music Tech or like Fast Company does a conference every year, things like this, it's, you know, it can be boring sometimes sitting in panels, but I promise that's where the people are you want to talk to. Bless you. The people who are doing like, bless you. The, uh, the branded work, the marketing work, the technology work, like, those are all the people that, believe it or not, are going to impact the music industry and that you want to connect with. Um, have a portfolio, at least on one platform, if not more, whether your portfolio is just having like a really great Instagram account that captures all the concerts you go to and you do interviews and you, you know, set up a show at Shuba's with these three local artists and you chronicled it on Instagram, or whether it's a Tumblr or whether it's a WordPress site or whether it's, you know like having a really great Twitter account, but I think Snapchat, not chat, Snapchat, I think Instagram is a really great place to be right now to showcase the kind of work you're doing. But let people know what you're doing because if you don't have a portfolio, like that's why we record everything. We record everything we do so that if I'm emailing like someone in like New York, let's say, who does not know who I am, has never heard of Dynasty Podcast, I don't have to tell them like, hey, we've done, you know, podcast promotions with these great companies. I can link them to everything we've done. I'm like, yeah, we've spoken at this thing. We've spoken at this thing. We put together an event here and we link it so that they can see it. They can listen to it if they want. They don't have to take our word on it. So have some kind of portfolio so that way when you're emailing whoever you want to talk to or you're approaching whoever you want to talk to, you're not just saying like, hey, dude, I put together a show at Bee Kitchen last year that sold out two nights in a row and we had all these kids there and they were wearing our promotion outfits, T-shirts. And if you're telling me that, I'm like, oh, that's awesome, cool. But if you show me and you're like, hey, here's a really visually sleek Tumblr that outlines all this stuff and shows you exactly what we did. And we've got audio, we've got video, we've got you know pictures, we've got media from it, we've got a write-up, here's a little blurb and reader, whatever. If I see that, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Now I see what you did. I've got proof you did it. 
I can recognize how it went. I'm not taking your word for it. All that stuff's really valuable. Um, but really, like, honestly, it just comes down to, like, being able to show people what you did and being really, really smart and finding the thing that you're best at that other people aren't as good at or other people aren't doing. Like, you know, show me why you're the best at whatever it is you want to do or whoever you want to work with. The other key that has gotten me very far is interview people you want to talk to. Interview people you want to work for. If you go to somebody and you just say, like, give me a job, you might get lucky, but chances are they probably won't give you a job. But if you reach out to them and you're like, hey, I've got a Tumblr or I'm writing for my school paper or I'm doing a freelance project for this kind of media outlet or I just want to start a video series where I talk to, like, creative business people in the music space, if you interview people, they're a lot more, especially when you're a student, they're a lot more willing to talk to you, and that's how you start building relationships. That's why I started in radio. I was reaching out to all the DJs that I looked up to to talk to them for, like, literally high school papers. That was my, like, entry, and that was literally how I started my entire career. That's what got me here 16 years later talking to you guys. So find ways to connect with people where you're not just asking them for things, but ask them about themselves because most people in the music business and most people now in the social media age are narcissists who only want to talk about themselves. So if you go ask people about themselves, chances are they will stumble over themselves to be like, let me tell you how great I am. And then congratulations. They like you and they know you. And now you can reach out to them down the line about doing something. Cool. Anything else? Awesome, man. Well, thank you guys so, so much. Uh, Jeff McCluskey and Associates Offices. Tommy, Jeff McCluskey, of course. Layla Royale for producing all of this. Man, you guys were awesome. It was really, really cool to get to talk to you. I hope it was useful. I hope I was not like this boring old dude just talking to you guys for an hour and you're like, oh my God, I wish there was a gas leak. Thank you guys for letting me be here. I really appreciate it. And please feel free to interact with any of us on like Twitter or anything like that. Keep us informed with what you're doing. You can totally reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk to you guys. Thank you. This has been the Industry Interactive Podcast. Thanks to the JMA offices for having Dynasty Podcasts up. You can find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descend.